Hello, my name is David Martinez, and I'm here today with Neil Cantrell, Assistant Professor uh, of Education at George Fox. And we're going to talk about his experience living and working in a Muslim country. I'm really curious because I, I've traveled a little bit. I've spent some time in Southeast Asia, but you've you've actually lived in, and worked in Indonesia. This is the largest uh, Muslim country in the world, right? Uh, I've only traveled uh, in and out more more as a tourist. But what's what's it like to live and work in the largest Muslim country in the world? Yeah, and maybe it, if I could back up, what did you, what were you doing in Indonesia for for two years? Sure, um, I was an administrator at an international Christian school. Um, in Bandung, which is the second largest city in the island of Java. Actually, I think it's the third largest city now that I think about it. I think Surabaya is the third. Okay. So we were on the island of Java, West Java to be exact. And um, I was hired during the pandemic to come in and be the elementary principal. And then for that second year, I took on the role of school director um, after the school director moved back to the U.S., uh, and I will tell you that my experience in Indonesia, the just under two years was probably different in that it was during the pandemic and every Indonesian that I knew said, Pak, I wish you could, and Pak is kind of like what they use for sir. It's like Bapak, Pak, I wish you could know and get to know the Indonesia, the real Indonesia. And I said, well, I think I'm experiencing what the real Indonesia is for me and I'm understanding who the people are, how they respond. Um, it was a bit intimidating going into the largest Muslim nation uh, as an American Christian just because of all the different uh, information we're fed through our media about the Islamic world. Uh, it's hard not to have a little bit of a uh, a rough layer around you when you go into a place like that as a Christian thinking, oh, am I going to be scrutinized? Should I just be very careful about what I say? Um, you know, should I be nervous about, um, you know, explosions and bombs and things that you see everywhere? It turned out to be the complete opposite. Uh, I have never been in a safer place than Indonesia. I have never been in a place where I've been treated with so much kindness um, so much hospitality um, than Indonesia. And I know um, I was told this ahead of time that once you go to Indonesia and you live there, you're going to fall in love with the country, you're going to fall in love with the people and the food. Uh, the food was amazing, but I still hold true that the Peruvian food is number one. <laughs> number one, Peruvian yeah. food is number one. Okay. Is Indonesian food number two? Uh, where are we in the top five? <laughs> um, definitely, definitely in the top five. Indonesian food is delicious. Um, it's a sweet, spicy food, yeah. and it has no no other. There's I can't compare anything else with it. Different than Indian food, different than Vietnamese food, right. Korean, Japanese, all different. So that's a little bit of a sidebar. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, it's funny how you know when you travel. I also have been categorizing my 
you know, the, and, and it is very personal. It's very individual, right? Where, where you ended up eating, how long you spent there and so forth. I, I still maintain, I have top three. I don't know if you have, if you make me put them in order, I don't know if I could, but my top three are Peruvian, Spanish, uh, Spain, Peru, and uh, South Korea. That's mm. my, that's my top three. <laughs> Those are excellent ones. <laughs> okay. But you, you, to, to go back to this idea of uh, coming from the United States, I agree. I think we do have, we grew up with a sense of maybe fear, uh, we've heard too many stories of of uh, bombs going off, of um, them feeling a certain way. And I've had a similar experience uh, uh, as you. I, I haven't spent as much time there for sure. But it, when I've traveled to Muslim countries, the same thing. I've experienced a lot of hospitality, uh, kindness. Um, yeah, just general care for for me. Uh, you could say in spite of my beliefs, uh, because of them, I don't know, I'm a foreigner. There's also some uh, interesting dynamics there in terms of what I bring as a tourist and so forth. But, but yeah, so how do you, uh, how do you, how do we get over these preconceived notions as we travel to um, these countries? I mean, how do you, you, somebody comes up and asks you or tells you, I don't want to, I would never go to Indonesia, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's too scary. It's too dangerous. How do you respond? I would respond with, you know, where are you getting your information? Have you talked to people who are there currently? Have you talked to people who are living there? Have you talked to people who have um, gone and traveled there, lived there, been in your situation? Um, Because if you don't give places a chance, if you don't go with um, kind of a hunger to learn about the culture and to learn about how we can, you know, examine our differences... Because I think there are a lot of differences between Christians and Muslims, but at the same time, uh, we have a lot of similarities in the way that we want to care for one another, the way we want to take care of the poor, the way that we, you know, you think about the the five pillars of Islam, mm-hmm. right? You're talking about profession of faith. We're talking about prayer. alms, giving to the poor, prayer, daily prayer, yeah, um, pilgrimage. We don't do. We, we don't require pilgrimages in Christian. We Maybe we should. Maybe everybody needs to do the Camino de Santiago. You have to walk yes. <laughs> for five weeks and end up in, in Santiago. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. Um, but, you know, one thing that I did notice is that um, when you're living in and among Muslims, you notice that some are a lot more devout than others. Mm-hmm. So you hear, and I think it's the same in a Christian nation. Some Christians are going to be seen as a lot more devout in the way that they talk and the way that they act and the way that they serve others. Um, and that's a whole topic altogether, other topic altogether. But you hear the call to prayer come out from the mosques five times a day, very early in the morning, like around 5.15, depending on the position of the moon and how that goes. Um, but what it always did for us, uh, my wife and I and my kids, is whenever we heard the call to prayer, it caused us to pray for the Muslim world. It caused us to pray that they would see the face of God, they see the face of Jesus um, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, which is a point of disagreement between Muslims and Christians. Mm-hmm. Do they do do they worship the same God as, as Christians? Muslims and Christians, do they worship the same God? I was afraid you were going to ask me that. <laughs> um, Let's get into the thick of it. Yeah. Well, Allah is, in, in Arabic, it's the one true God, right? When we say God, we understand God as being triune. We understand God being God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we understand that. The way that um, Islam views God is as a one singular Mm -hmm. 
one singular entity. And so... And Jesus the, is kind of a messenger, right? He's, yeah, Jesus, um, or Isa, Isa, was a prophet that Allah gave wisdom to. Okay. That wisdom was also transfer, translated as kind of the, what we call the Injil, which is the gospel, right? Which is, you know, it's misinterpreted that the Injil is a book that was handed to Jesus, the prophet, by God. It was wisdom that he imparted. Uh, but there's disagreement as far as who wrote the Gospels and that the Christian version of the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that those have been altered over the years and that there's been details that have been changed and things. So, um, But the Angel has not been altered in any way. That's the opinion of, the, of, of Islam, right? The Angel is the wisdom that God passed on to Isa, one of God's prophets, just as the Quran was passed to Muhammad okay. from the angel Gabriel in a cave. Okay. So, yes, we both pray to the one true God. However, our understanding of who God is is different, yeah. and how we serve him is different, and what's required of us as believers is different. Yeah, there are a lot of follow-up questions, but I, I don't think... Uh, maybe it's for a separate... <laughs> for a separate uh, episode or, or maybe just a, a coffee because there are one could argue there are some uh, maybe you'd call them denominations or some would call them sex or some you know believers Christians who also don't believe in the Trinity they believe in the one true God and I wonder I'd be curious to to see what the correlations are between between that but yeah that's that's I think that's a fair answer a good answer um, but going back to your lived experience in Indonesia, because um, isn't there, don't you have to declare what you are on your ID card? Is that true? Yeah. So on your family ID card, um, or kartu keluarga, as what they say, um, you can choose between, choose one of six faiths. Okay. Six faiths. What are they? So we have Christianity, Catholicism, Confucianism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam. Okay, so interesting that uh, you say Protestant and Catholic. So it's two separate, two different categories. Correct. Isn't that interesting? And that is interesting. Yeah. And there's no Judaism. No Judaism. Right? And there's no kind of, I am nothing. There's you no You have room. to choose one of them. You have to choose. So did you, did you ever have experience? Did you talk to somebody who, I mean, is it one of those things where I don't really care? Does it affect what you have access to? Uh, are there, are there, incidents of bias for instance like are you are can you be political in your in your choosing of one of these six choices i would say the political choice um would be to choose islam because you're that's gonna, the safest bet yeah okay. because the indonesian government as i understand it the president must be muslim okay and there's an equal part of the government that is heavily influenced by islam so it's I can't speak from personal experience because I haven't been, I'm not an Indonesian citizen, haven't had to go, go through that whole process. Sure. But being told that the president of Indonesia must be Muslim, it, it, it seems as if, and as I've been told by someone who became a Christian but still has Muslim on their ID card, that it's much easier to be um, of okay. the Islamic faith in okay. Indonesia. So that was my question then. Can you uh, can you change at some point? Or is it understood that once you're 
I don't know, you're Catholic, you're Catholic for life, or you're Christian for life. We're going to make, make that distinction, I suppose, if you're in Indonesia. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we had a gentleman come and speak to some of us at our school, and he explained his experience of becoming an evangelical Christian or a, 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 a Protestant um, and converting from Islam. And he kind of told us how the process went and how he, he really understood that through reading the Injil, which is the gospel or the, the wisdom that God passed on to Jesus, he realized that what he was believing was more, or what, he was, what God was telling him was to follow what the Bible, what the gospels were actually saying. Okay. But apart from that, one of our questions was, so are you going to change your, your image on your card? Is it going to say Christen now? And he said, no, because it involves a lot deeper process a whole issue with going in through government paperwork, and then it affects your family status. So okay. since families kind of have to choose, it makes a big rift and it's just not worth it. So they say, if you decide to believe something else, you just kind of maintain. At least that's what I've been told by one who has had that experience. Right. And that that seems to check out too. If you think about why you have to put this on a card, it, it seems like it's important enough that it would, it would affect certain aspects of day-to-day -day life. Um, to what extent those aspects are, I don't know, but that would be, that would be interesting. Yeah. And interesting things about Indonesia too. I mean, it's, it's 17,000 islands. <laughs> so the nation, uh, as far as East to West is as large as the lower 48 United States. People don't realize that because it's a spread out island sure. uh, nation, archipelago, but only 12,000 of those islands are habitable. Okay. Okay. So on that topic of islands, it's interesting thinking about the six different religions that are, or faiths that are allowed in the country or recognized. Um, the island of Bali, which many people mistake for being its own country. Yeah. It's like, oh, you went to Indonesia? No, I went to Bali. <laughs> you went to Indonesia. Um, Bali is a Hindu island. So when you land at Nugurai International Airport, everything changes. Landscapes, you don't see mosques, you don't see um, women wearing headscarves. You see a completely different landscape. You see Hindu Well, you see temples. a lot of tourists, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, during the time that we lived there, it was during the pandemic. So a lot of the streets were empty and it was a very, very distorted reality, which actually we loved okay. because there was no traffic. Um, but it's a beautiful island, beautiful culture. But uh, So you lived in Bali as well. You spent some time. No, but we got a chance to travel there. Okay. Mostly because uh, during the pandemic, we weren't allowed to leave the country. Okay. So we had to find some place in Indonesia where we could, you know, go for a Christmas holiday or go for a, you know, a summer holiday. And I, you know, I've been living overseas too long when I call it a holiday. Um, and so we would go to Bali and this is a funny story. I, I'm rambling here. It was our last Christmas break. <laughs> My oldest son, he said, what are we going to do for Christmas break? Don't tell me we're going to Bali again. <laughs> You've been too many times. This and is I said, <laughs> but you're going to think about that statement at some point. You're going to regret say, that statement. I don't know who's ever said that. <laughs> anyway. So that, that's the experience that I have. In, I, yeah, you've been to Bali. I've been to Bali as well. And my experience, I think I went into it. This goes back to something you said earlier. And I encourage, I encourage people to travel as a way to, um, as a way to 
be wrong. And if let me explain real quick, I, you know, we all travel with certain expectations. We all have ideas of what the country is, of, of what travel can even be. And so I, I encourage students to, or, or anybody, as I talk about travel, to, to say, you know, travel to learn how you were wrong or, or in what ways your preconceived ideas of these countries were wrong. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, learning and so forth and, and getting information from multiple sources. And so for, that was the experience for me in Bali. I kind of, I expected, I'll, I'll be completely transparent and honest, even if it does bring shame to my person, perhaps a little bit, you know, but I, I expected, I'd heard, I'd seen things and I expected to be a much more kind of spiritual experience, right? I, I, I don't know what I expected, maybe to, to meet with some spiritual leaders and have, have uh, very profound things said about my life or about living in general, you know, kind of live in the moment, right? But in a much more poetic and a beautiful way, right? That wasn't my experience at all. It was I was surprised at how many, and I, we're on this in the southern part of the island. It was admittedly it was shorter. I was there for five days or so, so didn't really get a chance to to delve really deep into the culture. Had I had more time, maybe I would have had those experiences. I don't know, but that was my experience, and so I was I had to kind of step out of what I thought that experience would mean, and you know it was different for me too because I had I put to there was a juniors abroad trip that I put together for students and I put it together with Javier Garcia, who was a professor, um, in the honors and the honors uh, program here at George Fox. He's a good friend of mine. And, um, he died as you may have heard in a, a tragic surfing accident. But when we were putting the trip together, he wanted to go to Indonesia partly because he wanted to surf, mm -hmm. even though incidentally surfing was kind of on one of those lists of things that maybe you shouldn't do when you're on a juniors abroad <laughs> trip right but we're kind of like well we'll give them a free day it'll be like a and you can go do whatever you want and if you want to go surfing you have to sign these waivers and stuff um and so you know my experience in in bali was also tainted by that i, I actually i went surfing at a spot as a way to kind of honor that memory and uh incidentally i had no business being out there this was i'd i'd have gone surfing maybe five or six times and uh, I, I show up it was right across the street from our hotel and there were these waves this guy renting surfboards out and I went up and talked to him and I said hey can I rent a surfboard um, and I said I'm a beginner I don't really know what I'm doing is it safe out there and he's like yeah 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 very safe very safe beginner <laughs> this is beginner beginner beach and I thought okay yeah. cool even though the waves looked massive so I I go out you know and and um try to catch a couple ways i caught one or two waves kind of sort of half stood up but then i i came close to to not coming out of that as well i remember one wave the riptide i just got just getting pummeled and pummeled and and i just remember thinking am i ever going to come out of this like when when does this end you know and finally came out my shirt had been ripped off no idea where i was and it was kind of a, it was a scary moment um, but at the same time, I, I, it was it was nice. It was right around sunset, you know, and, and they were towards the end of the night. Uh, it was nice to be out there kind of thinking about my friendship with my friend and, and enjoying that moment. Maybe that's as as spiritual as I got in, in Bali. But yeah, interesting that you say that, because I was communicating with your co-leader there at the time for that trip. Christy, she, yeah. yeah, she gave D me Dr. a pin. Yeah. She gave me a pin of where you guys were staying. And I had told her, this is prior to hearing any of this story from you. And I said, wow, that's where I almost died surfing. And she's like, oh, no, that's terrible. And I, and then having <laughs> heard this from you, so it's Legian Beach in uh, Kuta or Seminyak area. Similar experience. I go out there, but I had gotten used to surfing when I lived in Peru. I would go down and surf after work all the time. So I was used to 
you know, having that feeling of being in the spin cycle a bit, but having the buoyancy of a wetsuit and coming up and finding my board. So I'm not a, a good surfer by any means, but I enjoy it. And I've done it quite a few times. So I went out to that beach, guy renting boards. I look at it and he's like, okay, yeah, I just want, you know, like a eight and a half foot board, nine foot board, just something big, big and foamy. He rents it to me. I walk out there, you know, the red flags just blowing in the wind, which means riptide. The red flags are always up. And I'm like, well, as long as I have my board, I'll be okay because I can always find my board and be safe. So I go out there. I'm by myself. My kids, my wife and kids are playing at some pool somewhere. I go out, maybe catch a couple, roll through it. All of a sudden, I come down from this wave. My leash breaks. My board is gone. And I am out there with just a rash guard, board shorts, no buoyancy. And I can't tell which way is up or down. Can't get a breath. Nothing to touch. And I remember, and this is kind of bringing back some emotion for me because I thought, like, I thought that was the moment. Um, and I remember thinking, Lord, I can't go out this way. This is not, this is not how it happens. Hmm. You didn't bring me all the way to the other side of the world for this to happen. And as I'm praying, you know, a lot of those beaches with riptides are these big sandbars. And that's kind of how the riptide is formed. And so they go up in these big waves. And so sometimes you can find a high sandbar, then it'll dip really low. I'm just going along. I can't get a breath. I'm so tired. My big toe, my left big toe to be exact, touches just a little bit of a sandbar. And I just gasp for air. And I finally am able to kind of creep my way back through the waves, get enough breath. Anyway, big harrowing story. Same beach as you, which I can't believe. Um, and I went back and I... I don't even know what I was thinking. I spent some time on the beach for a little bit. And then I went back and gave back the board to the guy. And I said, take the money that I gave you for this rental and go buy a new leash. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even want to enter it. So that's, that's a sidebar. The same, the same beach. Yeah, I, I I agree. And it's, and you know, I think when you travel, you do put yourself in situations. Uh, you know, they say one of the, um, the, the, one of the biggest dangers in travel it's not often talked about is water. water. Yes. And it makes sense because we don't, we go into situations where we think it's going to be similar to, I know I grew up in Spain and so the beaches in Spain are a certain way. And that's kind of in my imaginary. I can't imagine, I don't know what, what these riptides mean in, in other parts of the world. I was swimming in Taiwan one time and I was just going out having a good time. And, and all, I look back and I see like a bunch of people frantically yelling at, you know, like waving their arms and stuff. And I, I come back in and and they're telling me how dangerous it is out there, how, you know, same thing, right? These riptides and stuff. And so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. We had this very similar experience on the, on the same beach, you know, at the same time, there's, there's a picture that was taken. I think Christy took the picture, Dr. AJ, and it's beautiful it's sunset. And, and it'll always be a good memory. I think for me, as I think about as the memory of my friend and, and, you know, putting that trip together, but at the same time, no business being out there. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I didn't share that story with very many people that, you know, I was associated with. There are a few on my staff at school, but shared it with one of the people at the Airbnb that we were staying at, a woman, like a Hindu woman. And she said, wow, well, you know, that's, I have to say said in English, she said, because a lot of people in Bali speak really good English, yeah. which I was impressed by. Uh very good language skills there. But she said, um, well, when it's your time, you just need to let it happen. 
And I thought, you know, her worldview is so different. But at the same time, I thought those are some interesting wise words. I mean, I, you always want to fight for your life, but her viewpoint as a Hindu and more of a reincarnation, um, mentality, it's not like this is the end, but as a Christian, my response to that is you're right. This, my death would not be the end. Right. And so it really helped me kind of get out of my echo chamber as far as just living in Indonesia in general, where you hear everything, everyone kind of agrees with you. Oh yeah. You know, and just like what you were saying, you travel to find out where you're wrong. And understanding the faith perspectives of people who believe differently, differently than me helped me affirm my own faith, but also develop a respect for them. Sure. In, in your role in these different jobs that you had, uh, I'm thinking particularly in Indonesia, did you see your role as uh, trying to convert uh, Muslims, for lack of a better term? I mean, was that like, were you kind of a missionary there, or was your role more kind of administrative or... Yeah, I don't know, relational maybe. Yeah, my work visa, I had a work visa for school leadership. Okay. So working in a Christian school as a school administrator, I was um, Kalapa Sekola, which means head of school. And um, it wasn't as a missionary uh, on paper, but my job was to facilitate the operation of a Christian school that teaches and preaches about Christ. Okay. And so interestingly enough, all of our maintenance staff, cooking staff, carpentry staff, pool staff, at a really big campus there, uh, were all Muslim. Um, we had a, a small mushola on our campus that they would go and wash their feet and say prayers, you know, during times throughout the day, security guards. Uh, very devout, but very kind, very understanding. Um, And we would have these moments sometimes where we would meet for devotions early in the morning. And one of the traditions was we would just pray for people as staff members. And at the beginning, we avoided going to our Muslim brothers, or we call them cousins, um, going to our cousins as recipients of prayer just because we didn't want to offend them. Hmm. Um, And they understood that and they respected that. But then there there came a time where several of them began to ask for us to come to pray for pray for them and pray with them because they had things going on in their lives that were really hard and really difficult. And so we were there not so much as to convert those who didn't believe what we believed, but to show Christ's love and to live that example. And I was taken aback by just the way that my perception of Islam has been and my thinking of how we're at such odds I think there is a large difference in between the Muslim and the Christian, but the heart seeks the Lord. And I think the Lord, the Lord loves all of us equally. And I think it helped me just appreciate and love that culture so much more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've had similar experiences too. I've often, you talked about this earlier with the call to prayer and I've often wondered, why don't we have a call call to prayer? You know, maybe is that an area where we could learn from them? Or, you know, the alms, this is one of the, the the pillars as well, you know, giving to the poor. I think we're a little bit maybe more, I'm generalizing, of course, but maybe a little more chaotic in our giving and less organized. You know, we tend to be a little bit more, well, again, I mean, can't speak for everybody, right? But we can be a little bit more capitalist in that sense, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This is what Jesus would want you to do, you know, right. like fight for yourself, you know, as opposed right. to 
to caring for, and you see this in scripture, caring for the widow and you know, orphans, the yeah. orphans as, as well. So I think, yeah, and I'm, I'm encouraged by what I hear because this is, that's been my experience as well. I just haven't had um, the extent of the experience that you've had, but um, in traveling to these countries that before going, we can, we have these ideas or preconceived notions that are then completely um, the experience is much different mm -hmm. right? again with the hospitality and the kindness and great conversations um, around th things like faith and mm -hmm. you know whether we we get into the weeds about the the differences in the God that we serve is it the same God different God I think a lot of the lived experiences can can be very meaningful and impactful yeah and that's not to say that I wouldn't get in trouble by police or the government if I was going out trying to convert a Muslim to Christianity or to any other religion, uh, because I think that proselytizing, as I understand it, is illegal. But um, believing in what you believe as a Christian or as Catholic or as you know Confucianist or Buddhist, hmm. it's not a crime, and people can come to you and ask. Um, you spent time in Bangladesh as well. Is your experience similar there as well? Yeah, Bangladesh. Um, I had the privilege of being there for about, I'd say, eight days. Um, this was right before the pandemic hit. I was able to go on a team with a team of um, three other guys working on ways to use business as mission and finding ways to cultivate enterprise into helping serve the poor of that area and teaching about Christ. So we got to go into Bangladesh, and it's much more of a closed country. Um, you can have Christian churches there, but they're heavily monitored. Um, you aren't allowed to speak about any business in public um, related to Protestantism or the Bible. Um, very, it's one of the most unique countries I've ever been to, probably the most unique mm. in that even when you're in the center, in, in the in Dhaka, in the capital, you just see so much desolation. And we had the huge privilege of being of being given access to the Rohingya refugee camp and Cox's Bazaar, which is right across the water from Myanmar. So we had special passes and a special, um, like a UN guide that let us go through the camp. And basically these, all these people in this camp, it was like, I don't know if I can get my math right. We can fact check me later, but I think it was like two square miles and it was over a million people. Wow. And it was one of the saddest and most difficult things I've ever seen because these are Muslims that were uh, exiled from Myanmar, which is a Buddhist nation, yeah. as I understand it. So they were sent away and they're refugees living in Bangladesh at this camp. And at first, a lot of organizations were allowed to come in and help, uh, Christian organizations, um, relief organizations. But slowly and slowly, they've been kind of cut off, and only certain ones have been allowed. Um, but I was told by the group that we were working with that they do have uh, midnight to 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. teaching sessions, they call them. Mm. And that's when these secretive uh, missionaries are able to, and these are Bangladeshi, um, Bangla men, teaching about Scripture mm. to these Muslims. And I have... I have a lot of, you know, pictures and footage from this. And I was told, and this was, this was in January of 2020. And I was told that I can't really share many of those just because of the sensitivity of it. Sure. Um, 
we also got to visit Jashore, um, which is a very um, heavy stronghold for um, the different um, teaching schools for young young students who are learning to be um, good Muslims and learn Islam and learn to become imams, mm. which are like the Muslim uh, school leaders. Mm. So fantastic experience, um, heavy experience. I was hoping I'd see a tiger when we were out in the jungle, but I didn't. <laughs> but I was told they were out there. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. I, I am familiar with with uh, Myanmar or Burma, uh, and Bangladesh is is definitely on the list of countries I haven't been to, but I but I want to visit. Um, but again, you know, going back to our original conversation uh, about traveling to these places where the impression is, you know, be careful, it's dangerous. You know, like your experience in Bangladesh was rather safe. It was. Or, it was very safe. Yeah. And I, you know, I would recommend people to give it, to give it a shot. I mean, I'm thankful that I had a chance to go there. And if I had the opportunity to go back, I would. Yeah. Because, um, you know, the people are incredibly hospitable. They love that you're visiting Bangladesh. They love that, you know, you're, you know, giving into that tourism economy, which is very small. Right. Um, and, you know, outside of Dhaka... So I hit the microphone there. Outside of Dhaka, I mean, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it is just green, beautiful landscapes. These these ships that they have resting on the beach in Cox's Bazaar looks like these scimitar swords that are just something out of a story. I mean, That's you amazing. feel like you're just really in a different place. I, I love these comments because you know I talk to people who have impressions of or they have countries they want to visit. And I'm always curious why they want to go to specific countries. And it's because they've heard a story. Yeah. So my hope is that our listeners will be, you know, intrigued enough with Bangladesh that they'll that they'll want to go. In my mind, uh, Myanmar, Burma is, is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever visited. I I I've been to, you know, over 50 some odd countries and I always get the question, what's your favorite one? You know, it's the mm. best one. And I, again, I try not to be a country counter per se, um, because it kind of, it can diminish the experience. And then you get into the kind of this, this, uh, idea of traveling for the sake of traveling as opposed to learning about culture and so forth. Um, but in my role, I get this question often enough. Right. And, uh, I, my go-to answer is always Burma, Myanmar. And, and my hope again is that, Somebody who's never heard of Burma, never thought of it. Uh, maybe this is the this is the comment that says, "Huh," and they start investigating a little bit. Maybe the same thing will happen in in mm -hmm. Bangladesh. I want to return real quick to um, Indonesia, though, because the book I have to recommend is yes. "A House in Bali," uh, and uh, it's a book that I've used in class uh, right before going on this juniors abroad trip, actually. And it had, it was mixed reviews. I'm not going to lie; some students didn't appreciate it as much. Uh, but I like it because it's a foreigner living in Indonesia and he's he's a musician. He's trying to learn a, a little bit about the music. And so it's very it's a musical book. Uh, he, he buys a house. And so along the way, he kind of makes some typical mistakes that you would make as a foreigner. So it can it can cause you to think about how you travel, how you engage with a with a different culture, especially as you think about um, spending a long time there, you know, he's, cause he's thinking long-term, he wants mm -hmm. to buy a, a house. So that's my recommendation, a house, a house in Bali. Yeah. And interestingly, you, as a foreigner, you cannot buy land, but you can buy a house, but you just don't own the land that the house is on. Interesting. I wonder what the, oof. so only if you're an Indonesian citizen, um, can you own land? Okay. Well, I think it's time to spin the globe. Shall right. we spin the globe? Let's I'm gonna put your it. finger down somewhere and see where we land.
Where'd we end up? We are in Mauritania. Mauritania. Okay. Uh, have you been there? Interestingly <laughs> enough, I've never stepped foot on the continent of Africa. Okay. And it's not because I haven't wanted to. I just have never had any opportunities that have brought me there. I almost, I was offered a job in Nairobi, oh, wow. Kenya, um, but I took the job in Indonesia over that. Okay. Um, so I almost went to the continent, but it's a huge continent and Nairobi's nowhere near Mauritania. Right. Yeah. I've been to Morocco. That's, that's as close. I think as we're going to get, uh, I had a, a great time. It's close enough to Spain. Uh, when we do the juniors abroad trip, we often will add a week in, in Morocco and we end up sleeping in the desert. Uh, mm. It's like a, it's a part of the Sahara desert. It's a different desert, but it's still a kind of a part. And so students get to say they've slept on the sands, you know, I think we're going to get to do that in our trip this May to the Middle okay. East and to sleep in the desert, sleep in the desert. With it's an incredible Bedouin experience. Tribe. It's when I, you know, most of my trips, I can think of a specific moment, uh, you know, that that no picture can really capture, you know, it kind of transcends the sort of visual. It's more kind of, I guess, the sensory, right? We were laying on the on the sand and looking up at the stars and we were kind of talking about life and and just the wind, the stars, the sand on your back. And uh, it's it's a it's a, it's a fond memory. And then, of course, we wake up at 4 a.m. and ride camels off and, and just to see the sunrise. My um, my wife and I have a term for that because we've experienced it so much in our lives um, we call it camera eyes. Camera eyes. I like it. Camera eyes. Anytime we go to a place and you just look and you're just taken away, whether it's people in a setting in a pueblo in the Sierra of Peru, if it's the ocean, if it's a sunset, if it's a, we just say, we don't pull out our phones, we don't pull out our camera, we just say, oh, camera eyes. <laughs> and that's like all it. that needs to be said. Yeah, that reminds me of The Office, the episode where they're, I think it's the wedding episode, right? Um, Jim and uh, Pam, I think, are getting married and and they keep doing this thing where they're putting their hands up by their face and like pretend to take in a picture. Like I want to capture this moment. Yeah. But that you know I, that's happened to me a number of times, and I, I encourage students to do this as well. I remember I was on the Inca Trail, and there was one night. This is in Peru, you know, on our way to Machu Picchu, and there was one night where the clouds were coming underneath the mountains, and it just it felt, it, it was incredible. It was this incredible feeling, and my thought was I need to go get my camera, and I had this like little point and shoot disposable yeah. camera, and I didn't do it, and my thought was. There's nothing that's ever going to capture this, you know. So I encourage students because the 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 tendency is to take a your smartphone out, take a picture, and when they do that, they take the picture, and then instead of keeping in the moment or staying in the moment, they come down to their phone, and that's where the sharing starts, or they're editing the photo, or they're making sure it's good, and you've kind of like you've missed out. You're losing out on that on that experience. It's hard, you know, because I come across as the old guy who's telling students yeah. to put your phone down, you mm -hmm. know, but I think it's an important. So I'm going to remember that camera eyes. I like it. Camera eyes. Nothing, nothing can beat it. Well, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation talking about uh, Christian response to traveling to Muslim countries, living in Muslim countries. Um, and as always, I think it's important to travel, to see the world and to, to be careful, be safe most of the time. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.